Welcome to the Chase Merrill Podcast. I am your host, Chase Merrill, and we are all about helping people get freed up from what's holding them back so they can build up who they were made to be. In today's conversation, I have my pastor, my mentor, my boss, and my good friend with me, Pastor John Kobler. Pastor John and his wife, Vaughn, have been in my life for almost 28 years now. And over the last six years, he has single-handedly made the largest impact in my life outside of my wife, Holly. I respect this man so deep and I've come to love him. The way he loves Jesus, the way he loves his family, the way he loves people. Uh, And he's walking out a journey that I have been so privileged to get to be a part of and to just be on the same team under his leadership over these last six years. And as we are leading living water in different places and he's our pastor and our, our leader in this season, he is been somebody that I have been so grateful to have a a relationship with and just a window into the way that he's walking out his life. Today's conversation's real. Today's conversation gets into some of the difficult things that when people are experiencing life-transforming stuff, it's not always beautiful on the outside. A lot of the time, it's really painful. It's really difficult. And it's really... It's really a process, and I'm so thankful for the conversation I got to have today, the privilege that it was to sit down with this man who I respect more than almost every single person on this planet. So enjoy today. It is going to inspire, challenge, and encourage you, no doubt. If you want to help us continue to make an impact with this podcast week in and week out, consider joining our new Patreon community. For as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can be a part of helping us get the message and mission of the podcast out to more people more effectively. This is a way that we could come together as a community and you'll get access to behind the scenes stuff, additional resources and content and so much more for just as little as $5 a month. You can head over to chasemerrill.com and click Patreon to jump in and get started. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Frontline Coffee Co. Delicious, bold, and expertly roasted small batch coffee for the everyday American. Frontline is not just about coffee. They're about supporting responders on the front lines, courageously caring for the rest of us. With every Frontline purchase, a percentage goes to supporting the brave men and women who are doing just that. Head over to FrontlineCoffeeCo.com and use promo code FREEDUP. That's F-R-E-E-D-U-P, all one word, FREEDUP, to get 15% off your purchase. Now let's jump into today's conversation. Well, welcome to my pastor and my friend and so many other things, uh, Pastor John Kobler. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here, man. I've seen some of the people that you've invited on, and I'm kind of humbled to sit in the midst of some incredible people. Yeah. Well, you're here uh, because you've made a massive impact in my life and over over my life. You know, our relationship started uh, over 25 years ago, uh, officially, but... Um, yeah, this 52 project has been such a cool experience so far, 52 people to, to sit down with that have made an impact on my life and we're almost halfway through, but you are one of those people on that list, man. And uh, to get to do it in person too, it's also always a joy. So like face to face, eye contact, you know, in the same room. Um, so yeah, man, thanks for, thanks for joining me today, taking time to do it. Uh, will you take a moment for those that don't know you? Okay, so like a lot of people will listen and will have some context of who John Kobler is. But uh, for those that may not, will you just give a snapshot, like who you are, who you're connected to in this season of life? Like give them, give them a little just nugget. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, I was born in Texas. Uh, my mom and dad were married for, gosh, I don't know, 45 years before my dad passed away uh, five or six years ago now. We moved around a lot. My dad was in the Air Force, lived in 18 houses in the first 18 years of my life. 
played sports, uh, I can look back now and realize that what I learned was that to be accepted, I needed to be a high performer. And so whether it was athletics or academics, I, I fit that mold. Uh, but I, but I didn't really know how to make friends that were lasting cause we were going to move. So sure. high performance, low attachment. I have a brother and a sister that uh, are each uh, about three years and six years younger than I am. Love them to death. They're two of the most amazing people. And the people they married are two of the most amazing people that you could imagine. It's really fun that the six of us uh, have an incredible time when we get to be together. Yeah. Uh, I have four kids. Uh, My oldest is 22, 20, almost 18, and almost 15. Three boys and a girl. Uh, when we found out we were going to have a girl for number four, I was convinced they were wrong and we were going to have a boy. <laughs> I was just prepared yeah. for that. And we had uh, Cosette and that was really a joy. Each one of my kids is so unique and different. It's really a fun to see them grow up and get older. Yeah, Parenting is the most sanctifying experience of my life, <laughs> teaching me to trust Jesus and love well. Yeah. And that's a, that's a whole podcast in and of itself. Oh, yeah. And we've been here in Olympia since 1995. Uh, Fawn and I have been married since 1997, so we're going on 26 years this year. <laughs> Let's go. I was wow. an intern. and uh, But I think the important thing is I got saved when I was 16 years old, like really came to Jesus, changed my life. Yeah. And I didn't have to. Nobody was asking me to go to church. I kind of got tricked by a girl to show up to her church, which is in the inner city of Washington, D.C. And it was in that environment of real poverty and violence and addiction that I saw a need that only a miracle working God could meet. And that was my confrontation. Was this real or or was I just a fraud? And I gave my life to Christ. And since then, I just wanted to see people encounter that life-changing power of God. And so... Didn't know what that would look like. Long story short, ended up at Living Water in Olympia, Washington. Interned right out of high school. Broke my parents' heart when I <laughs> decided to forego scholarships to go to college. Instead, go pay to mow lawns at a church. Yeah, to do the internship. Read some books and learn how to pray. But it was the best decision that I ever made. Yeah. And um, subsequently went to Life uh, Pacific University got my degree from there, and then we came back to Living Water in 2007, and we became the lead pastors here at Living Water in 2014. But my claim to fame is that when I was an intern at Living Water, I needed a place to live, and the Merrill family opened their home, Yeah, and I got to live with the Merrills and and with you and, and yeah. Landon, um, gosh, 100 years ago, yeah. and that's yeah. where our relationship began, yeah, because of the, ge- the generosity of your parents. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. So that's thinking back on that moment. I've had lots of time over the last five or six years since we've been here where that's come up in different ways and it, it still blows my mind. It still feels like a, somewhat of a story that like, you know, the Lord, he really, I mean, he is writing it, but just that like it, the way that that's all come kind of full circle for us. Um, yeah. So, so 2014, you stepped in officially, uh, you and Pastor Fawn as lead pastors and, and have been doing that once that's almost 10 years now. Almost I mean, 10 you guys years. have been leading, uh, living water and, uh, and it was about five and a half, six years ago for Holly and I, where we were in a season that God had given us a word 
um, we were on staff at a church in Modesto, California with Kyle Marcia Bethke um, and had been there for five, five and a half years. Uh, but at the time, it was like maybe three and a half, almost four, that uh, the Lord gave us a word that began to prepare our hearts for something that could be uh, happening in the future. And uh, and it really was this, this word of uh, prepare to uh, serve one more leader before you're the leaders. And and then the other part B to that was like, they just have to be better leaders than who you're serving. And at that time, Kyle Marcia for us, uh, who, who were our high school youth pastors and had been our bosses and lead pastors at this church in Modesto for at that time, three years or so, um, were just massive in our life and incredible. Like I, I could, it was hard for me to think about leaders that were better than them that loved us the way that they did. Um, and so it was a weird word to receive and feel like it was real. Um, and yet we laid it before the Lord and said, okay, this is you, like you're going to have to bring us those people in that time. And, uh, and so two years later, almost to that word given, um, we got a call from you guys. Uh, well, actually I, I got to make, make sure the process was honored cause it was so cool. I think you reached out and somehow got our pastor's number of communication and, and reached out to him. Yeah. Uh, First, yeah, we did, and I would say Kyle and Marcia, as we've had several opportunities now to spend time with them, they are the real deal. Yeah, like we have so much respect for them. They're the kind of people we would serve with, serve under in a heartbeat because of the integrity of their heart that yeah. we've seen, their love for Jesus, care for people. And we've always felt like that is important, honoring relationships is important. Yeah. And so, yeah, we reached out to Kyle and Marcia and they could have said no. And right. we would have, uh, we would have honored that. And, uh, they had the faith and courage. And I say faith and courage because you guys were so integral in that church and so loved and respected and trusted. I, I know that was a huge loss for them to even consider. And yet they did it with grace and humility and faith yeah. and exemplified that they are the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so that spirit of honor, you know, was just, just continually, continually being shared back and forth between, you know, the four of you guys and us. And, and, uh, and so then they gave their blessing to kind of reach out to us and say, Hey, yeah, get, throw, throw it on the table. And so when you called and kind of pitched the idea, you know, I think Holly and I were, um, you know, like, okay, this Jonathan Colwood, like they're, they are, they're the caliber of leaders and people from what we can tell that could be a part of this word that God gave us. Um, and then when, when you communicated that the opportunity was for the youth pastor role, it feels like, I felt like everything just quickly, like the sand quickly kind of fell through my hands when I was like, oh, okay, that's not, that can't be the Lord. It's not right. You know, we had done youth ministry at one church in Modesto for two years. I was a worship pastor for two years and had been at that point uh, executive pastor for a year and a half or so with the, the trajectory of, you know, leading a campus in the near future. And so in my, let's see, that would have been 2000, early 2017. So in my like 25 and a half, six-year-old pride, 26-year-old pride, uh, the thought was like, nah, you know, that's a step back initially. And, uh, and yet we knew we needed to pray and still bring it to the Lord to give him a chance to speak to that. And even as we did that, we didn't, I didn't feel like it was a yes. Uh, nothing changed in my like desire to, or my lack of desire to go back to doing youth ministry. Um, 
and yet there was something that had stirred up, you know, and I remember getting back on the phone with you a week or so later to kind of give you an update to what our answer would be. And, you know, had the no prepared and, uh, in, uh, in the midst of communicating that, you know, you guys were super gracious and understood, but you asked the question is, is there anything stirring, you know, and that stupid word, uh, beautiful word of stirring was the word I had, Holly and I had communicated to each other before jumping on that call. Like we definitely feel like something is stirring, but just not youth ministry. And so when you said that, it was impossible for me to deny, to deny that the answer was yes. And, uh, you know, that process was, okay, well, if something is stirring, like, we got to get you up here to just at least get your, your feet on the ground and let the Lord get, you know, speak to you more. And, and we felt like that was the right call. And then, then we got up and the rest is history. You know, yeah. we, we knew as soon as we got here, you got a chance to meet the team and meet you guys more in person. The Lord was so in it. And, uh, and that's what led us to step away. Uh, from a place we did love and we knew loved us um, because we really knew the Lord was in it. And and then as we we said yes, I think this is so uh, how the Lord works sometimes, at least how I've experienced this in my life. There are just times where the the assignment itself or the opportunity itself may not necessarily be all the stuff on your list. Uh but it's inevitable or, but it's undeniable that he's stirring and speaking something. And, and it was just amazing how, as we stepped into that, yes, he began to like light us up and break our heart for youth ministry again. And it wasn't forced and it wasn't like, all right, I can endure for a couple years until we get out of this. It was a genuine, like, heck yeah, man, can't wait to give my life to this for however long he has us here to reach the next generation with the gospel. And, uh, and so he just was faithful. In that. So yeah, that, I mean, that, that was such a huge part of my life, our life. And we're here still yeah. in Olympia, Lacey, uh, Washington, you know, August will be six years for us. We're coming up to six years because of the invitation, uh, that you and pastor Fawn stepped into and your willingness to not just go, ah, it's not, it's not likely, you know, um, this isn't something they would say yes to or, you know, all of that. And, uh, so we are so grateful because of how much our lives have changed over the last six years to being around you guys. And you guys have absolutely been the people. And that was it. It was God making clear to us that this invitation and this obedient yes was indeed the word he'd given us previously about serving one more leader before we were the leaders that were even greater leaders than we'd experienced before. And, um, and that's what we've gotten to experience it's to awesome. this point. So, it's, awesome. yeah. it's, it's humbling to hear that. And we felt like we hit the lottery when you and Holly said yes. And you and Holly both have exceeded every expectation as, as partners in ministry, uh, your influence and leadership is really amazing. It's really God's, God's providence and grace to do exceedingly more than we could think or imagine. Yeah. And so I appreciate that, but we feel like you guys took a huge step of trust and faith to do what you did. And man, I go by, I do it a million times over again because of what has been produced from that. And, and we love being with you guys. Yeah. So likewise. I was told you can't have friends with people that you work with in ministry. Yeah. 
And we at some point decided we were going to deviate from that philosophy <laughs> and take the risk. And I'm so glad that we have because yeah. Yeah, it's a good life to yeah. to serve Jesus with people that you really love to be with. Yeah. And you're some of those people. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. And I think when I, when this season's done, whenever it's done, if it's done, um, I think the thing that will stand out the most for Holly and I is that very, that relationship piece. It, it won't be connected to the ministry itself. Although there's some beautiful pieces to that, that we've been, you know, obviously got gotten to be part of with you guys as we've labored together and learned in so many things of ministry and, and pastoring and et cetera. But it's the friendship side. Mm-hmm. It's that piece mm-hmm. of like, you know, that's, that's the piece that has become the most meaningful to us. Um, it's the stuff off the clock, if you will, yeah. you know, that we've gotten to experience with you guys and cherish. So I do think that, I do think that's rare. I don't think that that's the case for a lot of, I, I don't think that's the case for a lot of anything, ministry, workplaces, but especially ministry and churches. Um, to feel like you've got that ability uh, or a genuine relationship and authentic relationship with, with people that you're working with. Um, so, uh, yeah, super appreciative of that and excited that that's continuing. Like we're still in it, you know, it's not like the end of it. And, uh, one of the things that stands out to me a lot when I think about, um, how you made an impact on my life already, uh, over these last six years, is just been the way that you have allowed the Lord to grow, transform, sharpen, shape, mold, whatever other word, adjective, verb you want to use to describe just the process of the Lord working in and through your life. And, you know, you're a confident leader. And I think that I've been around ministry long enough to know that I think it's more rare than not that leaders that are at the top, if you will, um, have this sense of humility to go, I'm not like, I haven't arrived. There's always still stuff that the Lord wants to do to, to make me better, healthier, grow me as a leader, as a Christian, as a, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, and one of the things I've seen since I've got here to be a part of your team is this really uncommon sense of willingness to allow the Lord grow you even when it hurts and you know when we got here like literally we moved to august september 2017 you were within weeks of your dad passing uh, away and so we you know we kind of got here as soon as that really difficult and challenging thing started uh, ha- or happened it had been going on you know he'd been battling for a long time and you've been walking with him but from that point till now um there's been a lot of things in the last five and a half years that have been really, really hard and challenging. And like that's saying it, that's saying it lightly. Um, but we just, will you begin just for a second to talk about like that idea that has been worked out in your life and leadership about not, a, not having arrived and being the top leader, but still allowing the Lord to really do like deep work in and through you? Yeah, sometimes I think it's evident that I am have a pretty thick head because God seems to use blunt instruments <laughs> to shape my life. And I hope in the years to come, I can learn from that and require <laughs> less fire <laughs> yeah. and pain yeah. to grow up. But it has been 
over the last five, six years, really transformational. And the passing of my dad was a pivotal point. It was a real shift in my life because I think that was when I experienced a level of pain that I couldn't stuff and internalize. And probably it would be fair to say growing up, one of our family mottos was suck it up. If you can't fix it, don't complain about it. And that worked for me because I could perform my way through most challenges. Yeah. But when my dad died, and especially because our relationship had started to become something I had longed for for so long yeah. during his illness, it was not only the loss of my father, it was the loss of this trajectory of something that was getting sure. better and better and sure. better. And I thank God for that because we then, when he passed, it wasn't on the foundation of a bunch of regrets. It was really on three years of watching my dad uh, enter in to a level of authenticity and vulnerability that I'd never known of him. And that was incredible. And it was such a gift to me. And his courage in dying was one of the most profound things that I've ever experienced. And so that's a whole thing. But that shaped my life and also took me to a really uh, low place. And that, that began a transformational season. And I would say I owe a lot of that to my dad and the example and the model that he set yeah. and to the friends and the people and my wife, um, who has come alongside and been the greatest gift and greatest minister, greatest counselor, greatest friend that anybody could even imagine. She's she is, besides Jesus, my wife is the reason that I'm still standing today and yeah. better, better off than I was before. Yeah. And that's, there's, there's no two ways about that. That's a fact. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that process of experiencing pain that you, you realized was so deep, you, you couldn't stuff it anymore. Um, like what, what from that point forward what did you find that helped you start to process and deal with that in a in a healthier trajectory to help you grow into some grow into something healthier than maybe where you had come before? Like, how, how, what tools did you find, or what? How, where did you go to not just hit the rock bottom in that and be like, "I'm done," but to allow that pain to not just be something that was final or wasted, but to produce something in you that was healthy and beneficial? Well, for somebody like me who's a performer. Uh, performance requires your ability to be in control. <laughs> right. You know, you control your performance, you control your preparation, you, you you have rhythms and routines, all the kinds of things that you would do to succeed. And death is something you can't control. Yeah. Like that hits you uh, right in the face. And then I began to have emotions that I couldn't control. <laughs> and I thought, where'd that come from? <laughs> That was not something mm. I saw as a good thing. I saw any emotion that wasn't a fruit of the spirit as something that needed to be denied yeah. through discipline and replaced with positive thinking, faith, belief. And, and what one of the huge elements of my journey has been to acknowledge that emotions don't need to dictate my life, but they're always a compass. They're, they're always pointing to something deeper Hmm. and 
that I believe is why I've, I feel that I've changed so much in the last six years is I've allowed the experience of, of emotions along the way to uh, point to the deeper things that are cracks in my character, cracks in my identity, cracks in my leadership, in my relationships that you can't, you can't address until you're willing to confront reality. Yeah. And the reality that I was experiencing in suppressing and stuffing my emotions was actually living in a false reality. Hmm. And you can't, you can't thrive in a false reality. And sometimes that's really hard because we have an idea of how we want life to be, right? how we want relationships to be. And we can't handle it when it's outside of that scope of what we can imagine. And then things start to happen and you have to choose to either kind of pretend or face it head on and accept the grief and the sadness. And one of the most uh, sticky statements that a friend of mine made when my dad died was the only way you get through this is if you get up every day and you hug the cactus. <laughs> and I was like, you're stupid. <laughs> and his point was, you can't go around the pain, you can't go over the pain, you can't go into the pain, you have yeah. to go through the pain. And I really tried to do that. I really tried to begin to understand why does this hurt? Why am I angry? Why am I sad? Where is God in all of this? And frankly, I wasn't very good at that. I was like a giraffe on ice skates, man, trying to figure out how to navigate. I didn't know how to communicate it with my wife. And I think that although that was a really powerful season of understanding, I had to go through those feelings and emotions and find what God was doing in that. I didn't know how to communicate that. I was really afraid and insecure of being vulnerable. So I was getting more honest but I w- with myself, but I was afraid to be vulnerable with other people. Hmm. And I actually think that was really hard for people that were close to me because they knew there was a lot going on under the surface, Yeah. but I didn't want to talk about it until I had it all buttoned up. Right. So I think that was the next evolution of my spiritual formation and growth was moving from, I'm now I'm being honest with myself and I'm being honest with God. Now I need to learn to be honest with the people around me. Yeah. And that, that was a whole nother level. And that, that probably was the revelation that came as we moved through COVID and pastoring and family and the world chaos. Yeah. And as you know, that was a time where I, you know, I call it the time where I hit the wall. Um, but I think coming through that, it was that evolution of, okay, now I have to be willing to be honest with people around me. Yeah. And that's brought a whole nother level of, of growth. Would you say that, that difficulty with being honest with people around you was, uh, somewhat of that byproduct of not being able to control how they would or wouldn't respond to you? I think the biggest, um, thing that that was a byproduct of is my image of what a leader was Mm. supposed to be. And my dad was a silent type and some of my most beloved mentors in ministry had a persona that they always had the answer. Yeah. And they were, they were usually right. And I believed that the image of a leader that was caring and faithful and loyal was a leader that had the answer that never gave up, never showed pain, never didn't, didn't show up when things got hard, uh, that that was a leader who would absorb everybody's 
pain and never right. let their pain affect other people. And I just became this pain absorber and conflict absorber. And I would always run to the fire and run to the chaos and run to the problem, thinking that's what a leader does and you show up with the answer. Well, obviously COVID showed that uh, there were a lot of times where we didn't have answers. Yeah. And that just destroyed my image of a leader. And that then destroyed my image of who I was. And that was really scary because I didn't know how to be to the people that I loved and cared about. And yeah. ever since I got saved, all I wanted to do <laughs> was for the people around me to experience the love and the hope that I experienced in that really hopeless situation in the inner city with kids in the most horrible situations. And when I begin to feel and see that, yeah, you got, you're not, you don't have it together. You can't show up with the answers. I didn't know who I was. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily have leaders to look to that were modeling that kind of vulnerability and transparency in my immediate circle. And so that was, that was the crux of the crisis. Yeah. And, uh, I think the byproduct of that was, I, I just fell apart. Yeah. How did, how did Jesus show up for you in that part of why I asked that specifically outside of that's a, that may be a understandable question to ask based on the person that you are is the way um, I have watched you even in the last two or three years. The second half of this six years or so, right? Since you've been walking through a lot of this stuff that that has been such a, um, a thrust of how you've led the people around you, including myself. So when I've gone through something challenging or am going through something challenging, difficult and don't have the answer, part of the way you've led me is with some questions. What's Jesus saying to you in the midst of this? Or, or how, um, how do you think Jesus is present in this or speaking? Like, and the, the, that's just been, that's been a reoccurring thing, you know, that I've, I've been impacted by you recently. And, and I know that that was a part of a journey. But when you think about that for you, like how, how was Jesus real for you in that? in that moment and in those moments that followed that? Yeah, that's a great question. The most poignant way that Jesus was real to me was as I was going deeper and deeper to try to understand what was going on as I was experiencing that that hitting the wall yep. season in my life. And to put it in context, I mean, I was, I was at a place where I, I had not slept through the night and I was having migraine headaches that would blur my vision. I'd be in a meeting or a situation like this and I couldn't I couldn't really see the person on the other side of the room. I'd be driving sometimes and have to pull over to the side of the road. Uh, I wasn't eating, I was losing weight, and obviously I was stressed and anxious all the time. And of course, I was hiding all of that because that wasn't the image of a leader right. that I felt I could portray without abandoning and failing the people that I loved so yeah. much and and that's that's where i came to the end of myself well as i said emotions are always pointing you to something deeper uh so often it's deeper because 
you don't want to find it. Right. You, you come to find out you're the one that buried it. Yeah, right. It didn't just get buried. Like, yeah. you buried it. Yeah. I buried it. And I was able to go to some spaces with counselors and prayer partners, pastors that helped me uh, really uncover that a lot of it stemmed to some trauma that I experienced as a kid, abuse that I experienced as a kid that I never processed and never dealt with. And unprocessed trauma gets buried, but it's buried alive. Mm. And so until you go and, and find a way to make that trauma into a wound, because a wound can be healed. And, the, yeah. and in my experience, the difference for me is trauma stays trauma when you're in it and isolated. You can't begin to heal until you see that you're not alone. You're not isolated anymore. And that's what's so powerful about knowing the presence of Jesus is that he can be with you past, present, and future. And what I began to realize and what changed my life was was getting to the bottom of what I had experienced and seeing and knowing that Jesus was with me then, he's with me now, he's with me through the pain. And, and it wasn't something that I knew. It was something that became real to me. Yeah. And I can only attribute that to the Spirit of God opening the eyes of my heart. And this is where I believe counseling falls short. Not that it isn't doing what it should do. Sure. But it can only take you so far. I needed something more. I needed all of that to help me get to the point right. where I realized this is where I need to experience the presence of Jesus. And I need him to begin to heal what I can't heal in myself. And he did that. And that moment of experiencing the presence of Jesus in a real way and remembering my trauma and connecting those two things, it freed me from being stuck. And that allowed me to begin to process moving forward. And so it's one of the questions that I ask myself all the time. Where's Jesus? Yeah. What's he saying to me? And I believe theologically, this is what it means to walk in the spirit. This, I love N.T. Wright made a comment that what Pentecostals miss is they think that the coming of the Holy Spirit is all about signs and wonders. And he, he comments that the most profound idea around Pentecost isn't the signs and wonders. It's the fact that the curtain in the temple was ripped and God changed his address. Yeah. So good. Yeah. That he's with us. Yeah. That he's with us. And I think the more that that becomes real, the more profoundly our lives are changed. Yeah. And that's been a huge element that's been transformational in my yeah, life. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned a moment ago about how Pastor Fawn, your wife, how her support in walking with you throughout this process, uh, you know, outside of Jesus, has been the, mo- the most impactful thing and part of why you're still here where you are attributed to her. Uh, when I think about what you just described in that process, somebody's, somebody walks through, maybe some counseling, some therapy, some uncovering of some deep wound and trauma, but still needing that, that revelation, Spirit of God moment. Um, I think about how she walked with you through that and didn't leave and didn't, right? She did a lot of things as a spouse, as a friend, as a partner, you know, that supported you along the way, probably when it was challenging at times to support you. 
Um, will, will you for a moment speak to that? Because here's, here's what I'm wanting to kind of get to. I think about the people that are in her seat right now with somebody else in their life, uh, a spouse, uh, a child, um, somebody that they're just a friend, somebody they're walking with, uh, a parent. I don't know. Just all those different examples are there and they are maybe in a season of discouragement or desperation trying to figure out how, what can I do? How do I do this well in a way that continues to love and support the person that I'm walking with, but also, um, you know, not, not sit back too much or not be too, and, you know, just, I don't know how, but I just, I know from being out on the outside and watching and knowing who Pastor Fawn is, like, you know, she, she really was a huge part of walking with huge. you in that. And you were able to see it both before, during, and after your kind of moment with the Lord to help you see and open the eyes of your heart, enlighten you, oh, enlighten the eyes of your heart. Uh, so like, what do you think when you think about that for people that are maybe in her seat, um, that are feeling like, I don't know what else to do, how would you encourage them based on what you experienced? Well, i tell you what I saw in my wife is that she is somebody that has the maturity to be able to be present with people, but also simultaneously maintain her own identity and connection with Jesus. It's really difficult to do that. It's really difficult to do that. And we get, we get over-connected to all kinds of people. Right. Our kids, if you have kids, it can be a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It can be a club or a group or the clique of people that you have. It can be your sports team. It can be your mom. It can be your dad. And you know that you're over-connected, enmeshed, some would say, when your emotions rise and fall on their emotions. Hmm. Your experience rise and falls on their experience. And when that's the case, man, now you are in a world of hurt because you have to deal with the volatility of your of your own feelings and their feelings. Yeah, shoo. And that means you're gonna, it's like whack-a-mole. They just, chaos, problems, anxiety, fear keeps popping up and you don't even, your hands are tied because they're not even yours right, to right, process. Right. And mm. what I think is incredible about my wife is she was able to stay with me because she didn't need me to be her savior. Yeah. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying that my valley was not incredibly burdensome to her because she loves me so much. Yeah. But the reason I believe what I saw was yeah. somebody that had the maturity where I was so connected with my leadership and the people around me and making sure everybody was okay. And if they weren't okay, I wasn't okay. She was able to say, no, I'm okay if me and Jesus are okay, and then I can enter into this space with you. And so she became somebody that really modeled the patience yeah. and grace and love of Jesus. Yeah. Um, like, like nobody else. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's something that we are learning. And as we navigate parenting and teenage uh, and grown kids, y you realize as a parent, oh, we're, we're overconnected. Yeah. And for all the right reasons. Right. Because we love them, because we kept them alive for so many years. <laughs> right. Like you wouldn't be here right. if it weren't for us. And and now you want independence? Like what? <laughs> and you're not going to make all the right decisions? What? You're going to like things and love things that are different? 
that's so hard, but it presses on all those places in your own life where Vaughn and I are, are looking at the other side of parenting because we're at that point now where empty nesting is right around the corner. Right. And we're thinking we don't want to all of a sudden have our kids move out and, and make their own families and have their own independence. And then we realize we didn't learn how to just be us because we were so connected to them. Yeah. It's an interesting place to be. And man, I realize how frail my, my identity can be at times because I, I have parts that are wrapped up in what it means to be a father or what it means to be even a husband that are images that I've made in my mind that aren't necessarily the way that God's going to do it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm learning to be okay with that. Yeah. One of the things that I, I can undeniably affirm from somebody that's closer, you know, to you in life and ministry is that that spiritual revelation, spirit of God kind of moment that you mentioned just a few moments ago, um, that he opened the eyes of your heart and really was able to kind of get in and do some of that transformative healing. Uh, I mean, a place that maybe hadn't, you hadn't, he hadn't had access to before, or you were even as aware of, um, is that there really has been something that's changed Hmm. in and through you since that moment. And like I, like I said, it's undeniable. Like, and it wasn't just a, I went to a conference and got a cool idea that God's, you know, and then that's like flavor of the ministry season. And then it's a new thing that you've moved into. It was, I mean, it's been DNA shifting. It's been life changing uh, because it's, I've watched it impact over the last year and a half or so, two years, really so many areas of your life and leadership. It's for real. Uh, Here's the question around that, that I think would be really valuable for people listening to consider uh, and, and hear your, your take on. And there's two sides of this. One side is since that transformation, there may be people in your life that still have a percept perception of you or an experience from you that is pre that experience and transformation that has so healthily impacted you in your leadership. And that, that idea of being different, that being healthier in maybe areas that you weren't as healthy in or having a healthier perspective of what it means to be a leader, um, the way that God's called you to be is different than where it was. So you've got that perspective as one side of this coin, people that are going, you know, uh, the pre you, um, how you deal with that personally, knowing that um, there maybe are some regrets of how you maybe things that you you did know or you 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 did not know about how you you were um, leading or loving or serving or whatever could have impacted maybe people. Um, and the part I guess part of where I'm going at is like there's been times in my life where I didn't realize it, and then when I realized it, but it's not who I was anymore. It's hard for me to not just feel uh, broken or feel. Um, regretful or feel like, well, you know, I'll just, if I just, I give up, you know what I mean? Because I I can't fix some of that or I can't prove to you that that, that's not who I was, who I was is not who I am anymore. Right. So there's that side. Um, And then I have a, I have a part B to it, which is another category, but like just, I know there's people that have gone through like redeeming transformative stuff, but feel like there's a, there's a tension between how do I step into that new identity, but know that 
not everybody around me has been able to be a part of that journey. That's a great question. It's one that I think about a lot because I really care about the people right. more than ever. And I think there is probably any of us, anybody listening could look back and say, I wish I would have. Sure. And I do. I wish that I could take the heart that I have today because of what Jesus has done and go back and relead the last 10 years. I would give anything. And I also, in that, am reminded that I am so dependent on the grace of God. Yeah. Because I know that I can't do that. Right. And I, in some ways, I hope that 10 years from now, I look back and I've, I've grown in ways that make me look back today and say, oh, I wish I could go back sure. and redo that. Sure, right. And one of the things that I think about often is what does it look like to, to, to bear the fruits of repentance? The, the scripture calls us to bear the fruits worthy of repentance. And I, while a lot of my, a lot of my stuff that I've, that's been at the root of what's allowed me to be really different has come from stuff that's happened to me. I still am responsible for the way I've loved or not loved other people well. And to me, that's something that is worthy of repentance. And that repentance is not just being sorry, it's, it's turning. So one of the things when I think about that and I want to go to a place of regret, I, I come back to God's grace that has brought me to this place to be able to recognize my shortcomings and yet that in that time he was still loving me. He was still moving me and moving things in my life to bring me to a place of transformation. I think about his grace and mercy to do that, that he didn't quit on me when I was a knucklehead. Right. And then I also think about those, those people and I want to, I want to be a person that will love them well, not to try to prove something to them. Yeah. And that's huge. I, I'm not trying to go back and convince them that I'm a new person. I'm just going to try to love them well, the best that I can. Yeah. And one of the most profound things that one of my sons said to me, and each one of my sons is so unique and different and incredible. One of my sons said to me after I had gone through this kind of hit the wall, experienced Jesus, some healing, and was really growing and healing from all of that. Uh, Just a couple weeks after that, one of my sons said, I feel like I can see my dad for the first time. Hmm. And so what I would love to be able to do to to those, anybody out there that would look back on their time in relationship with me and go, man, I feel, feel like I left a little beat up and bruised. I would just like to say one, I'm sorry. And um, I'd like to introduce myself. Yeah. Uh, I'm John and you've seen all my flaws. I, I'd love the opportunity to know you and understand and continue to grow and maybe along the way love you well because you deserve that. Yeah. And I've experienced it, being loved well. And it's really life-changing. Yeah. So that's, that's, what I would, that's what I would say, and that's, that's where I'm living. Yeah. And more and more, I feel like I just don't have anything to prove. And so when I feel shame, 
I am able to acknowledge, um, yeah. But there's a good shame and a bad shame. A good shame is recognizing you, you didn't act like you or you didn't act like us. And I can look back and go, yeah, I didn't. The bad shame is I'm, I'm sorry for who I am. Right. I don't feel that. I feel the good shame yeah. and I'm walking in repentance in that to God's glory and goodness. And um, I was talking to my counselor one time, a couple, not too long ago, and I was, I was talking to him about just some challenge. It was a rough week and um, people and circumstances. And he sent me a song. He said, I'm going to send you a song. You should listen to it. He sent me a song. And the chorus of the song was, um, cheer up, church. It's worse than you think. <laughs> My first response was, you're stupid. <laughs> Why would I ever? Yeah. But the point was, man, yeah, things are actually harder and worse than you can even imagine. It's God's grace that we even have an opportunity. And so, so when I think about those people, I think, man, at least, at least I have an opportunity yeah. um, at some point in the future to, I don't know if I can or need to repair anything in the past, but it's all about relationships. And if I can, if I can cultivate a relationship that can help me grow, help, maybe help them be encouraged and loved, then I'll chalk that up as a win. Yeah, that's so good. So the other side of the, that coin I kind of was trying to, to propose up was how to walk through what you're walking through and have experienced in this transformative way, you can continue to walk in a security and a confidence moving forward in the things God still has in front of you to to do and to be and to see come to pass and maybe the voices that say um they sow seeds of doubt or unbelief they're not maybe the voices that i mentioned on that other side of the coin that are you experienced you beforehand or whatever but they're they're voices that think to some degree um the they're not approving you know, it, it, ministry brings a lot of voices of uh, critique and approval and disapproval and opinion. And right, I mean, we're always in that space. Life, life is in that space. But yeah, I think at times ministry can magnify, you know, the voices of people that are about what you're doing or where you're going and, and not about it. Um, how, how do you, how have you seen a shift since kind of that time that Jesus really did that transformative thing in your heart to continue to step confidently and securely into who God's called you to be without allowing voices of disapproval or doubt around you, um, stop you from that process. Like, I mean, does that, does the question make sense? Like just that world of how I, are you I'm, doing that? I'm suspicious of anybody that doesn't have doubt. Sure. First of all, sure. I'm just suspicious fundamentally of anybody that has no doubt. They've got it figured out. Right. They know. I'm suspicious of that. Um, and yeah, there's a lot. I've had a lot of critics, over, especially over the last year, year and a half. A lot of people that were in close circles that became very suspicious and critical of my leadership, of my motives. And it was really, really, those are really hard things for me to process because my desire is to be authentic. Right. And so when people question my motives, 
it's uh, that stings. Yeah. But I also realized that God, if I want to be a person that is willing to be in relationship with humans, then I have to accept people's humanity. Yeah. And the more that I am able to understand my own humanity, the easier it is to accept other people's humanity. And when their humanity gets aimed at me and feels weaponized, I I have to realize that underneath that, there's a whole story that I don't understand. Sure. And then it's up to me what I do with the critique or the comment. And sometimes the pain of, of the loss of a relationship and oftentimes what you find out when people criticize you and then disconnect relationally, it's it's not just the pain of the loss of relationship, it's the pain of the realization that we didn't actually have the relationship that I thought we had. Sure. And that feels like a whole, what, you know, was it all a facade? But the reality is it's far more complicated than that. Right. And so what I have, what I am learning is I'm, I'll am listen to anybody and then I can take that criticism and critique before Jesus and before the people that I trust because there, I think it is important that when you are uh, processing criticism, when you are processing um, character issues, it's really helpful to have people in your life that, that your relationship isn't on the line based on your response to this feedback. Yes. Right. But it takes a long time to build that level of trust. Totally. But those are the people that I'm going to be with when, as I process those things. And it's, um, it's not easy. It takes a lot out of me to do that. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I'm, that comes along with it is there are other things that you have to have that I have to have in my life, the times of solitude, times of scripture reading, journaling, um, I, you know, I talk to a counselor regularly so that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of clearing accounts just to make sure that there's nothing under the surface that I'm not talking about or processing. And those are all really helpful too, that don't allow those critiques and criticisms that, that could just be a splinter that you pull out to become infected and really damaging. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's always the times where your critics criticize you for the wrong reasons, but they're actually right in their criticism. And then you just come before Jesus and thank God that he can use anybody. Yeah. Um, the best criticism is in love, but sometimes it isn't. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean it can't be useful or constructive. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. And very challenging. Very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Very challenging. Yeah. There's something about uh, that I have seen in the last couple of years, the way that Jesus didn't change from being who he was from, from the garden of Gethsemane to the cross on Calvary, that that whole journey as he encountered crit, um, critics and accusers and abandonment and neglect and alone and isolation and all of those things, he never stopped. He was still able to look at other people and love them. Yeah. Because his love wasn't a response to them. It was a response to the father. It was a response to who he was. And I want to learn to love people as an overflow of the love that I'm receiving because then I won't run out. Yeah. If it's always give and take, then there's always the risk that once you start giving, I'm now at a deficit. Yep. 
and now we have a relationship that's unhealthy. Yeah. You actually can't grow that muscle unless you have to deal with people who aren't loving you back. Right. Right. <laughs> right. It's so hard. So hard. Yeah. Well, when you think about uh, the future, like you're, you just turned, can I say your age? You just turned 46. I was going to say 45, 46. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You don't look a day over 45. <laughs> um, when you think about the future, what, like for John Kobler and the Kobler um, family, name, like home, like what do you get excited about that you don't, it's, you could see it coming. Like it, the, there's joy in the thought of the season that could be ahead um, 5, 10, 15 years from now. Like what, what gets you, like when you think about it, the, the joy meter in your life begins to, to rise. Oh man. I think about um I watched Pastor Wes Wimberly preach yesterday. And he crushed it. I mean, he did such a great job of of bringing the scripture and his intent and passion. It was so rich and deep. I look forward to seeing him continue to grow. Yeah. Uh, he and Amanda and their marriage. I think about the some of the dreams that I've heard in you and Holly, and I think, I hope I, I, hope I get to be, Can you edit out all the, <laughs> all the weepy pauses? I hope I get to be on the periphery when you guys are celebrating the next big thing that yeah. you've been able to accomplish or you've seen God do or you've watched your kids do. And uh, I can't wait to see my next kid get married and my net, you know, see them grow. I can't wait to see my wife continue to step into new levels of leadership and influence and, and just thrive. I, I can't wait to go on my next trip with Fawn where we get to go on walks and not check email and reconnect and just re-experience the delight that we have in each other. I can't wait till I have that next time, like just sitting by myself alone in my woodshop by the fire and I'm with the Lord, and he, he opens my eyes to that next thing. Hmm. And, you know, 20 years from now, I don't think nobody at Living Water is going to remember me. Um, probably very few people in Foursquare will know who I am. But, In 20 years, I think if my grandkids smile when they think about me, mm. it'd be a good life. <laughs> yeah. And uh, everything else is, is bonus. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So... Yeah, I feel so grateful for what I have today 
the yeah. relationships and the friends that I have, the the ministry that we get to do. I mean, I, I look at the people that I get to, you know, I heard, I heard somebody say, you're either going to put people over performance or performance over people. Like you, you can't do both. You have to decide. And I made a decision years ago. I'm going to try to put people over performance. And I had in one of my, one of my mentors said that really won't, won't work at a big church. Like you can't do that because there's, it's too much of a machine that you have to keep going. And if people don't, can't do it, you got to find people that do. And I just, and I actually, I, I've heard that often and I can see that philosophy and I understand a lot of big churches have been built that way. Not every church, not right. every big church sure. by any means. But I just decided I'm not, I'd rather when it's all said and done that we can walk off into the sunset and and know that we've loved God and we've loved each other really well, starting from the inside yeah. of our community and relationships. And then what's happened in, in the larger spaces is the overflow of that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one day I want to preach my last message and just walk away, just walk off and really enjoy the people that I love. Yeah. So good. Uh, when I think about John Kobler's impact on my life over the last six years, I think, um, you know, you yeah, you far, you have far out exceeded what Holly and I had imagined being a part of uh, your team and community would look like you and Pastor Fawn. Um, what I thought we were saying yes to was some great leaders, you know, that we were going to get to serve under, learn from, be challenged by, which we've totally got that and more. Um, I don't think I was expecting to be as um, sharpened and challenged and encouraged to love Jesus more the way that I have been. Like I love Jesus more because of how you love Jesus and challenge me to love Jesus, to, to love Holly. Like I, the amount of times over the last five, six years, you've pressed into that more than you've pressed into my, my, uh, ministry output, you know, check-ins have been much more, um, centered around like, how are you, how are you doing? How's your heart? But then like, how's Holly? How are you guys? How are you doing as a husband? And there have been times where that question almost caught me off guard. Cause I'm expecting my boss, you know, my, my supervisor, my leader to, to be laying, laying down the, like, let's, let's talk about the, the performance here that, you know, is, is good or not good. And yet what I've seen come out of you, like what you care most about is that place, which is just pivoted so much of my heart and attention to realizing how much more important that is than anything else, which is bled into my, uh, my fathering. You know, we came up here with one child pregnant with our second eight months pregnant with our second. And now we have four, two boys, two girls. And I'm a better dad because of the way I, I've been challenged and encouraged by you to press in as a dad. Those are things, man, that I go, um, like that, that's legacy stuff for my family. Yeah. So it's stuff that like, whenever people down the road ask me how and why I am the way that I am, um, it will be uh, attributed in large part to this season mm -hmm. and how uh, I had a, a pastor and leader who believed in us, believed in me, 
the fact that I'm even sitting here doing a, a podcast with you is um, much more of a journey than people may understand or realize because this has been a, a, a fear of mine and almost an insecurity fear of mine for so many years of like, how can I step into some of those passion and calling things that I feel God's called me to step into while still honoring the call to ministry and seeing how God's brought them both together. But to have my, my pastor and my leader sitting here having this kind of conversation is just it's fruit and fulfillment that I didn't even know was possible. But, but I know when people ask me and see my, my kids and their kids, it'll be because like I had a, a pastor and leader who, uh, and a friend who allowed Jesus to shape and mold him and not hide all of that or stuff it all, but allowed it to be in the open in a way that invited people into the journey. Um, and I just can't, I, my gratitude in words and in this moment won't even come close man, to touching what I really feel. And so uh, it's an honor for Holly and I to, to get to be in this with you. And um, I, I'm so glad that I get to, uh, I have had the window that I've gotten to have over these last several years uh, to, to you and your life and your ministry um, and the friendship that, that we do have and we'll, we'll continue to have. It, it's part of what I get excited about when I think about you know, things to come, you know, we're going to continue to reach people for Jesus. Absolutely, man. That's 179,944 Thurston County and beyond. We're here. That's what we're we're doing. Making disciples who make disciples and giving it everything we've got. And, and along that way, you know, deep relationship and joy filled moments, you know, um, that I'm excited to continue to get to have uh, with you guys and, and the people in our circles. So, well, Chase, thank you for saying that. That means a lot. And when you find people that are of the caliber and grace on their life, like you and Holly, it's it's a joy. And we really find great joy in seeing you you both thrive. And in the years to come, what's great is you don't owe us anything and we don't owe you anything. Right. We get to yeah. be in relationship. And I pray we never forget that and that God can do in the byproduct and the overflow of loving him and loving one another. He can do incredible things. Yeah. And uh, more and more in the world and the crazy of the world that we're living in, we need those authentic relationships to help us be who God has created us to be in, in the fullness of that. Yeah. And that means in the valleys and on the mountaintops because cheer up, it's worse than you think. <laughs> That's it. Well, man, thanks for being here with me today. Thanks for taking the time to do it. And uh, just love you and Fawn and your family uh, a lot. And uh, just thankful for your vulnerability, your humility, um, and your love for Jesus to be here and to share a part of your journey with us today. So with that, thanks for listening. Until next time, see you later.